0: Hello and welcome to the School for CEOs podcast. My name is Gemma Soule and I'm delighted to share the inspiring story of Sue Pascoe in this episode. Sue is a Yorkshire lass who built a successful career as a senior leader in one of the UK's top accountancy firms. Today she's an active campaigner for diversity and inclusion, supporting individuals, charities and commercial organisations, including the leading British broadcaster Channel 4. While Sue has been Sue for over 50 years, to others she only became Sue a few years ago after undergoing a gender transformation. We've invited Sue to join us to share her story and help us understand how businesses and leaders can be more inclusive towards gender minorities. I hope you enjoy. Sue, welcome and thank you for kindly agreeing to join me today and share your story. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you. I wonder if we could start at the beginning. When did you first learn that the person everybody around you thought they knew was not actually who you were?
1: So that might seem a simple question but it's quite complex. I first realised I was different when I was five years old and I told my mum that didn't feel that I fitted in and this, this wasn't quite right. And my mum sometimes was supportive, sometimes wasn't. And it was a difficult time for both of us. Perhaps my most difficult time was puberty when my body was changing and I didn't want it to. Um, by this time, my mum had called me Susan and... Um, and I was a girl at home, and boy, when I went to school, and I lived a little bit of a double life, um, my mum ne- didn't necessarily encourage it, but she didn't stop it either. And I was born with a mix of sexual characteristics, some visible and some not and when I was fifteen, pretty much against my wishes, um, I was operated on to make me more um, functional as a as a boy. And um, when I was twenty, I went to ask for professional help um, about my gender struggles. I couldn't use then the words that I use now. I just knew I was different, and some bits of my body and makeup were female, and other bits were male, and I was all mixed up about it. Um, instead of what they do now, which is what they call gender affirmative um, healthcare, I got conversion therapy where they made me ashamed of who I was, um, completely mixed me up and I went out into the world as the best person I could be, um, at that time. And I then met a lovely lady, um, whom I shared all my struggles with, um and we got married and um, I remember saying to her please don't marry me unless you can embrace my feminine side and she said she could and that was all good until our first child came along and when our first little boy came along my partner said she didn't think that we should have Sue uh, in our life again And I agreed. And for 23 years plus, until uh, both my boys had passed the age of 21, um, I lived the best life I could. And it was a very successful and privileged life. But I was dying inside. I was presenting to the world as somebody that I really wasn't and um, I wasn't authentic to myself. And when I was fifty-four I said to my partner I had to go and get professional help. And that led to the most acrimonious um divorce on the planet and Led at one point to me becoming penniless and homeless. And, uh, but I'm here and I'm um, now fully transitioned physically, emotionally, socially, and mentally, and I'm just pleased to be Sue. So. I've come so far in such a short period of time, such amazing things have happened. I don't think people who don't struggle with their gender identity really understand or can really comprehend what's going on inside somebody. And we all have our struggles. Uh, I've had mine, and I faced my demons, I faced who I really am and I found myself.
0: You didn't go through um, your gender transition until your mid-fifties. So obviously a lot happened between childhood and your mid-fifties, so can you, can you explain to us why, why it took you so long? Oh. I think
1: this is about a point in time Nature is messy. It's not black and white. It's not just male and female. There's lots of shades of grey in the middle. And, But when I grew up, none of that was known. Um, and so it was a real struggle. It really was. But I put all that behind me. And I used that to create a life that I could be the best person I could within the constraints I had. So I grew up a one-parent family. Um, my mum was a raging alcoholic. Um, there wasn't always food on the table. Um, it was a difficult and troubled life um, upbringing, putting aside my gender struggles, anybody could have found that situation difficult. But in a way, the more difficult it became, the more it strengthened my character. And people were very good to me at school. I left school with good O-levels and I eventually got myself to university And then from university, I managed to get a job with who were then the largest professional service firm in the world. Um, And I stayed with them for 18 years. Um, Growing in experience, growing in confidence, working with the best people and the best clients in the world. And I got headhunted into PwC and became a consulting partner uh, around the UK consulting practice for outsourcing and shared services. Uh, was head of consulting for Leeds. And all of that whilst I had my gender struggles. I can't really explained this very well but when I decided to become Sue full time I wasn't expecting my brain capacity to increase I did did it overnight I had no idea how much of my brain I was using to pretend to be somebody I wasn't um, to put this persona on that wasn't real Um to hide my true self, I have no idea how much effort that had taken and was taken, and towards the end that effort was enormous.
0: just wanted to pick up on that wonderful expression that you used, uh, Sue, uh, about deciding to become Sue full time. Just lovely. and. Um, I think that's fascinating about how much of your brain and your energy has been taken or consumed by this inauthentic persona that you were having to be. You're now supporting organisations and helping them to become more inclusive. Can you tell me about some of the work that you've been involved in so far?
1: I'm a trustee of uh, one of the LGBT and sexual health charities. And that means working with the board um, about what they're doing, what the focus of attention is, um, working with the chief executive around the um, Gender Recognition Act submissions and with trans people. And this charity runs the support groups for many different spectrum of people on the LGBT plus um, spectrum. And so that's where I put some of my life is to helping be a trustee of that organisation. So the next bunch of things that I do is um, around the work that I do with one of the broadcasters and that is helping them be a more creative, inclusive organisation. And that's really interesting because it spans such a wide area of what um, the organisation does. And in essence, I believe inclusivity, inclusivity is about everybody. We can't leave anyone behind And that actually is quite a mind-shift for many people. And what I find looking at many organisations, and Channel 4 is no different in this, is they start in that place which is in HR, which is quite technical, it's about legal compliance, and then they move a bit further and try to help people with protected characteristics, be included more. And they set up network groups around the protected characteristics. And then they realised that actually diversity is an asset. And that's a real big mindset change from compliance to being an asset. And certainly Channel 4 has got to that place that diversity is an asset. And so people tend to to then look at um, the mix of people they have in their organisation in a different way. They start to realise that actually, if their workforce reflects society better, then they're more likely to make better business decisions, more likely to attract more customers, have an insight of what the customers really want and it becomes a win-win there's a next stage in diversity is that people then actively start recruiting for some aspects of their strategy um, so I'll give you an example from the supermarkets um, they realised that um, some of their customers were coming from an Asian background they realised that they weren't providing the good level goods and services that the Asian community would want so they went actively out to recruit people from an Asian background um, in order that they could tell them exactly what they would to be selling in their aisles um, and now in most of the supermarkets, big supermarkets now you will find an Asian aisle Um, with big bags of rice, big bags of oil, um, which wouldn't have been there a few years ago. Um, The next stage along is people start looking at inclusivity. And they start realising that um, first you get the mix right, and the second is making the mix work. And that's why facilities man, it's making them mix work. And it is for everybody. And for me, if you don't treat it as everybody, you leave people behind. And whilst you may solve one problem with one group, you then have another problem with a different group. You have to think about it for everybody. And then the next stage is you start embedding inclusive ways of working. And the next stage is you start realising your commercial and strategic benefits. And it doesn't work linear in the way that I've described. And it can be different parts of a business at different points in that cycle. And somewhere in there, there is a, a mind shift that leaders need to have. And we all have our own Biases we have instincts that come from our um, um, human existence and the way that we have evolved that makes us intuitively tribal. Whether that's tribal women, tribal men, tribal people from from, from private school... Um, from a different social background, from an ethnic background, we have a tribal way of looking at things. And it is so easy to think about recruiting in your own image. Um, And you need to tackle this unconscious bias. And every one of us have it. Um, And you have to get past that. And you have to see all people as humans and their basic humanity and realise that we all have something to offer in different ways. Um, I look at um, Channel 4 and the um, number of disabled people that are working there and it's fantastic to see that We're valuing people that in a different age might not have got a job even. Um, We all have something to offer. And the more that we can get behind people and realise the value that we bring, the more inclusive we are as a society, the more inclusive we are as a business, the better we are social citizens, but also the better that we run our company.
0: We're moving towards the end of the interview now, so I'd like to finish with two uh, questions. I'd like to ask you for two pieces of advice, if that's okay. Okay. Um, The first one is to business leaders. So what first steps can they take to becoming more inclusive?
1: I think first steps always start with yourself. One of the questions I ask um, Chief XX is can you articulate your values and that seems like a simple question but I tell you most can't and for me in my journey I can articulate my values it's what defines me as a person it's how I live my life So, and it really is little things that are so easy to forget as you get to the top of an organisation. Have you thanked somebody for their contribution today? Um, Have you been a role model for them? When you talk about flexible working, are you sharing flexible working? When you talk about um, work life balance, are you a role model for that? Because most chief execs I've seen are not role models for that at all. And yet... So, are you really living the experience? And have you taken the time to really look at how you interact? Do you treat people, all people, with respect and dignity? As leaders, for me... It's about giving people hope. If you can treat people with respect and you can give them hope, you are a profoundly different
0: leader than someone who doesn't. And finally, if there's someone who's afraid, perhaps, of how to approach someone who's has a transgender past, so they're worried that they might say the wrong thing and say something that might offend the individual. What advice would you give to that person?
1: First, don't be afraid. We just choose, like everybody else. We just want to be shown respect, dignity, and just a little bit of empathy. Maybe I can describe this in the way that I have advised uh, some of the hospitals. Pronouns are really important for trans people. Um, Whether they're called he or she, um, they or them are really important. I was with one of the hospitals and they said, we'd really like to train all of our doctors on all of these different pronouns and I said do you know what I'm really not sure that's the best use of your time um, I think even if you spent hours doing the training you're probably going to get it wrong um, and there are now 60 of those different pronouns and I can't tell you what they all are and I'm a trans person to tell, you know Are you going to be able to do it? I don't think so. But maybe there's a different approach. Maybe if you teach all your doctors, nurses, patient-facing people, as the first question that they ask anybody is, Hello, my name is Dr. Joe, how would you like me to address you? That's really simple. It affects absolutely everything. Everybody. Um, they know that it's easy to say the wrong things without any intention to say the wrong thing. All we want
0: to do is just ask. Don't be afraid. We're all black head of promise. <laughs> Thank you. Suze, so it's been hugely inspiring and insightful to hear more about your journey, the journey that you've been on, um, particularly over the last five years. So thank you so much for agreeing to come. Um, and I look forward to sharing your story with everyone else. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.